It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. We're very excited now to be joined by Stephanie Haney from WKYC. She's a digital media superstar over there. Stephanie, what's going on? How are you? <laughs> hey, Chris. I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today, guys. I'm so excited to be here on Locked On. Yeah, no, we're happy to have you. Um, I, I want to ask you just before we dive into this, how, how was covering the draft? Like, What was it like, the, the first in-person event? that I think a lot of people got to go to um, before we talk about like some other broader Cleveland Cavs sports things. What, what was that like co- kind of covering that and, and seeing how people were reacting, getting to go back out in the world a little bit? Well, it was very interesting. I'll tell you that that's definitely the most people that I have been around in a very <laughs> long time. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I made it down there. We had our whole live show on Thursday, the kickoff of the draft. And I made it down there on Thursday night and did a couple of live hits from down there. It was, it was interesting, but it was really good to see, you know, they really did have all the safety protocols in place. That was very cool to see everybody maxed. Of course, you know, I have been fortunate enough. I've gotten my two doses of the vaccine, so I was fully vaxxed up. So that gave me like a degree of confidence and comfort being down there. But it was just great to see all these people being here in Cleveland with the knowledge that, you know, we've done the things that we need to do to sort of protect ourselves and others. That was really awesome to see. And I guess just to look ahead, you're obviously covering events in Cleveland now. Like this is a Cavaliers podcast. The city of Cleveland's hosting the NBA All-Star game next year. Are you do you just think based on this, like with how prepared the city of Cleveland was, do you think they're ready for handling another event so soon? Oh, I am so excited for that. And yes, on the one hand, it is it is so soon, but on the other hand, it's also like a good nine, 10 months away, right? Who knows what the world is going to look like by then? You know, I'm just hoping that we continue in the trend that we have been and things can only open up more and things only become, you know, more and more of a return to what I like to call the before times, if you will. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm optimistic for that. And I do, uh, I do hope that we, we see a bigger, better, even more extravagant, even larger highlight on our city because we really did it up. We really did do it well for the limitations that we had for the NFL draft. And I just, uh, I really foresee even bigger, better things for the NBA all-star game. And I cannot wait to cover that. Yeah, I, I hope I hope that weekend it, it's like middle of winter in Cleveland. So like we're running the risk of of weather that people like spend a lot of time like tweeting about how cold it is. But like I'm hoping that it's sense people can walk around like, you know, hopefully more rest everything with the restaurants will be fully open and like people can just we can play at that side of the city in a, in a good way, because I think that would be like a really positive thing. And, and just like seeing people from out of town, um, which it was kind of nuts to me how many people it seemed like came from out of town for the draft, just considering how things still sort of are. Um, it seemed like everyone that like talked to local media, whether it was WKYC or elsewhere was like very into the city. And like that, that that's all like, it doesn't always matter. Like we obviously know it's very good, but it also just sometimes the outside validation, I think in people realizing, Oh, Cleveland's like not the joke that it sort of gets out made. It's, it's kind of a nice kind of moment in a lot of ways, I think. Absolutely. And, you know, as someone, I spent seven years living in Los Angeles. I was in New York for about three years before coming back home to Cleveland. You know, I'm from Canton originally, 330. Mm -hmm. 
very mm-hmm. proud to represent. And coming back here from those places, Cleveland is such a gem. The, the access to things that we have here, we have the comforts of a downtown lifestyle. We have a beautiful waterfront. We have incredible green spaces, the metro parks. You don't have that Mm-mm. with such easy access in these major cities. You don't have the headache of the crazy traffic sitting on the parking lot that is the 405 in L.A. It's it's really great, and it's good to bring people in and let them see that firsthand because, you know, it is easy to just dismiss Cleveland, but, you know, I've been around, and it's great, and I'm glad that people see that when they come here. Yeah, yeah. Are you telling your friends all that as well from New York and Los Angeles and everything, saying, like, Cleveland really is a gem? Like, are you doing the Lord's work for us out, out and about in the world? Listen, I am quite the ambassador for the CLE. I can promise you that. And as soon as things open up, I've got people coming in. I'm bringing in the tourism here, too, from L.A. and New York and Maryland and all those other places. And I actually have an Atlantean, Atlantean? I don't know how you would say that, coming here uh, in a couple weeks. So, yes, I'm doing the footwork for sure. So at WKYC, you're hosting Three News Now three and Three Things to Know. Um, I, before, before you talk a little bit about if, if anyone doesn't know what those shows are. Um, how do you feel like sports fits in with a broader Cleveland story? Like, obviously, it's there's tons of things going on. The mayor race is kicking off right now, which is going to be insane by the amount of candidates that are seemingly involved. Um, but how do how do sports fit into the broader understanding of of Cleveland as it exists, sort of right now? Well, it's just such a unifying force for all of us, you know, because Cleveland has a lot of different people here. A lot of diversity, which is one of the other things about it that is so great. But it's something that everybody sort of rallies around. You know, everybody loves the Browns. Everybody's following what's going on with the Cavs. There's a lot of attention on the tribe right now. It's something that we can all sort of come together on. And we really do just have a very cohesive sports mentality here in Northeast Ohio, which is definitely not something that you see in other places. So it is a big part of our picture and our culture and our storyline here. Absolutely. And we've got great personalities too in our sports worlds. And that definitely helps, you know, we're interested in what these people are doing. We're invested and they get invested in our communities too, which is just as important. And it really kind of just feeds that environment for everyone. Yeah, you touched on that a little bit. And actually, I wanted to ask you about that more, um, especially with the Cavs, since, like I said, this is a Cavs podcast. Like J.B. Bickerstaff and Kobe Altman are big proponents of being involved in the Black and African-American communities. Like, how, in your eyes at least, how huge is that to see from just like professional organizations to care that much about ethics and civil rights in the local Cleveland and the greater United States? It's incredibly important. You know, these are public figures in our lives, and these are people that we're seeing all the time. We're paying attention to what they're doing. They are leading by example. You know, there is definitely a certain sect of the population who thinks that they don't want to hear that from their sports figures. But we have to really remember, these are people, you know, sports is their job, but these are also people who live in this community and are invested in it. And they want it to be a welcoming environment for every kind of fan for one thing, but also for their neighbors and the people that you're walking by on the street and the people that are here in our community. So to see that, to see the leading by example in this highly visible position, it's just, it's incredibly important. And I love that they've taken such a prominent role in doing it. And I think it's great for the city. I think it's great for everyone here. And a rising tide raises all ships. I just, I couldn't, I could not overstate the importance of it. So tell for the listeners out there, maybe don't tell everyone about how you. I'm just because how do you approach doing your podcast? Like you're doing it's local podcasting. It is 
bringing people news. It is trying to do things, a ton of stuff and, and getting people informed in, in very clear ways. Just how do you approach that? It's, it's evident I try to do that. Sometimes we talk too much as I'm talking too much right now. But how, how do you approach doing that kind of work? I'm just as a, as a journalism nerd, I am sort of fascinated by that. Well, I will say this, the beauty of doing it online is you can't talk too much because there's no time limits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's my favorite part about it. You know, I always try, I set a goal each day it, and it also, it depends on the podcast, right? So I've got two podcasts. One of them is three news. Now that's daily Monday through Friday. The goal there is to go at least 10 minutes. There is so much going on in Northeast Ohio. It's never a problem to go at least 10 minutes. It's really kind of like, I got to kind of trim and say, okay, where can I sort of cut the fat here and just let people know for the more details on this, you got to go to WKYC.com, but here's what you need to know so that you could be informed in your community and know what at least is just sort of the broad strokes of what's going on. So that's kind of the approach that I take with that one, just really hitting the highlights. And what's beautiful about that particular podcast, and it's also a video show as well. So it's on YouTube, it's on Facebook, on Instagram, but then also on every podcast platform is that's something that our viewers and our listeners and our readers really have a huge say in because what I do is we go into the back end and I look at the stories that people are already reading, the people are already clicking on from WKYC.com and our WKYC app. And that sort of dictates the direction of the show. And of course we pull in other things too, but that really is that combination there every Monday through Friday. That's your afternoon rundown of the top stories from WKYC.com. So that's what the people in our communities are really caring about. Uh, so that's what I do with yeah, that particular yeah. one. So uh, tell just as we wrap up your tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find the, the podcasts and, and just so they can follow along with your work. And, and if they're not following, they, they absolutely should be. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I would love for everyone to follow along. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Stephanie Haney, also on Instagram. Those are probably my most active places. I'm also on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash the Stephanie Haney. And you can find my podcasts on every single platform. My other podcast is the three things to know with Stephanie Haney podcast. And that's a deeper dive. And what I love there is I get the opportunity to have sort of a longer conversation about topics that are really important to people. You know, like this week, we're talking about the separation anxiety your pet might feel when you go back to work. And we talk about going to these events and things. And next week, I'm talking about re-entry anxiety you know the people who yeah. might have felt a little on edge at the nfl draft and all of that stuff so uh you can find that on every pod podcast platform along with some other fun segments where we do you know like a good follow on social media and the hidden gems here in northeast ohio it's a lot of fun yeah, fine stephanie if you're watching a video her handle is right below please go give her a follow and uh up next we have jay crawford so we'll be right back for more here on lockdown caps Yep. No, it's just, it's just funny you mentioned Griff and he's such a people person. And that's the biggest bridge that you really can't teach people is, I don't know, Kobe, just like Chris says, feels inauthentic at times. He sometimes feels like a used car salesman is what I tell him. Like, no matter what, Kobe Allman's overwhelmingly positive about any movie makes. Like, when they obtained Isaiah Thomas, everyone wanted to ask him, well, what's going on with the hip? Is he hurt? Is he able to play? And he's like, I don't want to talk about Isaiah's injury. I want to talk about Never mind Isaiah the elephant the in the room. Like that, that was a red flag <laughs> yeah, in itself never mind to the, me. Yeah, 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 I know. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. It's, um, it's almost... I, I tell you, I, I feel bad for Kobe. I feel bad for people inside the organization because if we look at videotape and we watch carefully as they're blinking they may be sending us morse code for help 
because they're trapped, guys. They're, I mean, you yeah. know where they are. They're in untenable situations with an owner who believes that he knows more about the sport than all of them put together. So it's really a game of, and I've talked to people that have been in management of successful franchises and, and franchises that are struggling. And the one thing that most of the executives from successful franchises tell me is they are a conglomeration of voices from all corners of the organization. It's not this, you know, dictatorship where the owner comes in 10 minutes before the pick and says, take Johnny, take Johnny. You don't have that. So what you have in successful organizations are voices coming from all corners, scouting the front office. I I believe ownership ultimately is going to have to break some really important ties. But I think at the end of the day, those situations should be one a year, maybe not even that many. I think the general manager needs to be empowered and needs to live or die on the win-loss record. In professional sports, it's very simple. You're judged by one thing. Wins. Regular season games and playoff games, championships. What do you have? So we had, for a stretch of a decade, the greatest player to walk the earth. And with that greatest player, in a team sport that is often dominated by superstars, they were 7-19 and on the sport's biggest stage, seven and 19. So that tells me that's not a LeBron shortcoming, although his legacy will, his legacy will pay the price for that ultimately. But that I feel, and I'm not a LeBron defender or apologist. That's unfair to LeBron. LeBron did his part. There were too many years where Dan was loving the gate receipts He was loving the trip to the finals and he lost focus on what we're really measured by in this business, championships. And when you have the best player on the planet for a decade and you bring one home and you're seven and 19 in NBA finals games, that's an epic fail. And that lands on others in the organization, not LeBron. And ultimately, you know the way this goes, it all trickles uphill. At the end of the day, who did I blame for the Browns' ineptness? Well, you can't blame Hugh Jackson. He was only there for a minute. And you can't blame Mike Patton because he was only there for a minute. And at some point, you know what it becomes? What's the common denominator? We went through many general managers. We went through many head coaches. We went through many quarterbacks. Stink, 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 stink. So who's the one face that's in the room constantly that hasn't changed? Well, that goes to the very, very, very top. And good owners embrace that, and they wear that. And bad owners will look down and say, you know, we had the wrong GM. Well, why do you have the wrong GM? You hired him. Why did you have the wrong coach? You picked him. Why did you have the wrong quarterback? You were you were in the room when they drafted him, overriding everything your scouts was tell- were telling you. So, you know, at, at some point, the owner has to look himself in the mirror and say, So what am I without my greatest player who was here by chance and then ultimately by his own decision? What am I without my superstar? You're two 15s out of 15 teams. You're two 14s. 
you're two 13s and you're a 10 out of seven years. That's not acceptable. And so what's happened to the fan base? Guys, doesn't 2016 seem like 100 years ago? Yeah, and 2018. 2018, 2018 seems like about 10 years but you ago. you know what? Like, so I have friends in the national media that look at me and that when they see that I'm not tweeting about the Cavs or I'm not like wearing my fandom on my sleeve like I did during the successful years, they hit me up and they're like, well, did you, ca- did you cash in your Cavs jacket? Not a fan anymore? Here's the problem. At some point, you have to look at yourself as a fan and say, okay, what role do I play in this? So if I'm an Indians fan and I buy season tickets this year when their payroll is $200 million below the team with the highest payroll. 200 million, guys. That's $8 million per rostered player. And you're by far the lowest payroll in baseball. And I'm still supporting with my fandom. At at some point, we have to ask ourselves as fans, what role are we playing in in this process? Now, because we have Tito and because we have great pitching and we've had incredible power from our lineup, we're a game out of first place as we sit here today, which is mind-boggling to me. I still think this team will finish slightly below Mm -hmm. 500. I don't think we'll win the division. I don't think we'll compete. But if we do, that's a testament to Tito. That's because that one corner, that pillar of coach, manager, is is rock solid as there is in all of sports. Tito is the guy that can turn a 70-win team into an 80-win team, an 80-win team into a 90-win team, and a 90-win team into a team that wins 100. He's that valuable in my view. But fans have to look at what ownership did, and do we support that? Do we continue supporting that with our money and our time and our energy? Or do we try to use what little voice we have and say, no, no. This is not acceptable. Cleveland was in the World Series four years ago, and you slam shut the window. And I'm not even talking about the Lindor thing. Did we have to get rid of Carrasco? I mean, Clevenger, Bauer, all of the rest. I mean, we've hemorrhaged payroll, hemorrhaged. So what message does that send to the fan base? White flag, nothing to see here. So Fans use their voice. So what I tell my friends in the national media as to why I'm not wearing my Cavs fandom on my sleeve as I once did, give me a reason. Give me a reason. It's like the boyfriend or the spouse of someone who keeps coming back despite the abuse. Well, why are you going to do that? You know, they've told you what they think of you by their treatment of you. So why are you going to keep coming back? You're perpetuating this cycle. So break it. So I'm not saying I'm not a fan. I don't invest two and a half hours a night. You know how I follow them? I have the app on my phone. I get score updates at the ends of the first, second, third, and fourth quarter. During close and late games, I flick on and I see what's going on. And during those moments when I've turned on, last night was a perfect example. During those moments when you turn on, I judge the team based on what I'm seeing, not what I'm reading or box scores. What am I seeing? And you know, you watch that overtime. And you're like, wait a minute. How was this game even tied after regulation? So, I mean, that's where I am. I love this team. I love this franchise. I want nothing but success for it. But I don't want to be an enabler. And and, and look, I'm sure you guys see this in in response to your coverage compared to what it might have been in 2016. 
everybody cared in 2016. Why? Mm -hmm. We were visible, we were relevant, and we were living up to expectations, which is the antithesis of what, we're at, what we are now, invisible, irrelevant, and disappointing. So it's, you know, it's not necessarily a, a which came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, does the team have to be good before they get fans or do they get good because they have fans? That's very simple. You know, if, if your team yeah. is awful, and that's why the Browns violate this rule. Typically, if your teams are awful for a stretch, fans just say, I don't care. But this yeah, that, city that, that, and their fan that, base. That was mass, that was, that yeah. was masochism with the Chris, Brown stuff. It's just like asking for pain. It's just asking I've to hurt. I've never seen another city or another sports franchise that has that resilient a fan base. It, we would come it's, back it's, 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 every the September. The Knicks are the only one that I can think of, yeah. The Knicks are the only one I can You're think right, of. You're right, but they're also disgusted too, like we were in, during our times. Of, <laughs> well, and the Browns fans are like going outside and like drinking tons of beer in the we cold. We like in the winter. And like, yeah. We had a parade. Who yeah, does that? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know what? Yep. The following year's opening game, home opener, everybody in the stadium, you know what we're talking about? Yeah. Hey, we could turn this thing around. We've got the, we could be a playoff team. <laughs> the only, it's, only it's, in it's, Cleveland and only uh, with the Browns. The other two teams don't yeah. have that kind of fan equity. Yeah, I think if you get, I think if you you could get there, it would take time. You need to invest in it, and that's not something the Cavs have done. I think it'd be a fair. That's thing to a, say. that's the best thing I've heard today. They have not invested in that, and as a result, you can put a shiny coat on an old arena, um, but the saying goes, "You can dress a pig, but it's still a pig." And here's how you get fans yep. back invested. Here's how you do it: you hire the best mind in the game to run your operation that's move one move two which should happen 15 seconds after move one is the owner completely divorcing himself of the day-to-day -day operations and the major decision making within the organization and i know that might sound crazy to some you know you got a billion dollar investment you're going to leave it in the hand you're going to leave it in the hands of professionals you, celebrities that have all the money in the world when they want to travel somewhere they pay someone to get them there because that's what they do. That's yep. their business. Deliver me safely. Yep. So what, what Dan Gilbert needs to do is find the best driver in the world, the best driver in the NBA, and you bring him on board. You got enough money to pay him whatever you want him, whatever he wants. You bring him in and you tell him, get me there safely. Navigate me through the post-LeBron era. Find my next superstar. Find a way to attract a second superstar. Because that's going to be imperative, guys. You're not going to do it with one. You're just not. You're going to need three yeah. years in a row of number one draft picks, the quality of LeBron James. Not going to happen. So, you know, like, like Rick Pitino once said in Boston, yep. you know, Larry Bird ain't walking through that door. Okay? That ship has sailed. So what you have to do is you have to find the best mind in the game and empower him to run your franchise the way he sees fit with the idea that this is going to be a completely accountable position. I'm giving you carte blanche, and I'll, I don't even need to watch the games. I'm going to look at the win-loss record at the end of the year. That's how you're going to be judged. I'm not going to make micro-snap judgments after nine games. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to judge you at the end of every season. We're going to have a sit-down, and we're going to adjust our either our point on the horizon or what we're doing. So move one, get the smartest guy in the game. Move two, divorce yourself of the day-to-day opinion-making and the and the decision-making and the, and the thinking that you're an NBA superstar mind. You're not. 
then you, then you got to get the right coach in here. And then you got to let the pieces fall where they fall. You know, you, you draft wisely. There are gems in the 20s of the first round. You, you can, th- this league is littered with success stories of guys that weren't lottery picks. Littered with them. You got to find them. And they're out there. But a guy who's rich and loves basketball probably isn't going to find them. You know, he may love the game and he may think he has a great working knowledge of the game. But, you know, one of my favorite sound bites of all time was, and you guys are probably too young to remember this, Jim Mora was the coach of the New Orleans Saints at the time. And he was being challenged by a play call, a critical position in the game, after the game. And I'm going to use this example as a micro generality because I don't Mm -hmm. want to disparage all of us in the media. But what Jim Mora said to this reporter emphatically Mm -hmm. and over and over again, YouTube it, Jim Mora, you think you know, but you don't, and you never will. Just YouTube that. Jim, for about a minute, looked at this reporter and said, really? So so what would you have done in that situation? And I don't know what the reporter said, but but the point and what makes it such a memorable soundbite was Jim saying, you know what? You guys in the media think you know. You think you know what goes into the game plan. You think you know all of the intricacies and all of the nuance of a play call in a given situation in a game. You think you know, but you don't and you never will. And the reason that resonated with me is because most of us for our livings have been sports observers. And I'm not saying that you've had to have played the game at a high level to have that super understanding of the game. I think that's nonsense. But what I do believe is, and I, and I learned this when I worked in Tampa, I sat in on some of the Buccaneers position coach meetings before games for a story. No tape. I could just take what I could remember out of the room with me for my reporting. And I just remember thinking, I consider myself a pretty knowledgeable football fan on 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 tactics and the difference between a 4-3 and a 3-4 and a cover 2 and a single high safety. I know what all of those principles are. And I think I have a pretty good working understanding. I've been doing this for 33 years. But what struck me sitting in on those meetings was we tend to have this idea that we have this perfect working knowledge of all the pieces and how they come together. And we really don't. And Jim was right. We, we, we know superficially. But when you go five layers deep, and the reason that I say that from the Bucks example was there was a play that when I watched it, I was convinced, and I won't say names, but I was convinced that the weak side corner made a terrible error in judgment. And it was his fault that they were beaten for a deep touchdown. And... I never voiced that opinion on air. I just thought at the time, oh, wow, that was him. That was that, That's him. And most of my friends in the media thought that, and some of them reported that and wrote columns about it. When I'm in that meeting room, they call back to that exact play. I was in, it was a defensive backs meeting room. And they call back to that exact play as an example of how you not carrying out your assignment on a given play can make your teammate look like He's the, he's the bad 
seed, okay? Mm. And they showed that play, yeah. and then they were highlighting what everybody's responsibility on that play was. And the guy that we in the media all thought was the victim of the player that we thought made the mistake, it was exactly the other way around. The player that we thought was doing his job and 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 carried out his assignment was in fact the reason that that play went for a touchdown. And the guy that we thought blew the play was doing his job. And because of it, it made the other guy look like he was right. He was doing the right thing. And I sat there and I almost after that, it all turned into like Peanuts phone conversation voices. It was just white noise. I couldn't even hear what they were saying. And I was, cause I'm going back into my mind thinking what I thought at that time and what a lot of my friends in the media thought. And I'm like, we couldn't have been more wrong. We thought we knew, but we didn't. And that's dangerous. So, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm showing these numbers and I'm, you know, just taking a huge dump on Dan Gilbert. But the reality of it is, guys, there's probably things going on in the organization that I don't know. I'm a fan. I'm an invested fan. I wear my heart on my sleeve. I get very emotional about these topics. But there's things I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't know. And so, you know, is, is Dan Gilbert really the guy to blame? Well, in, in our world of accountability and, you know, everything going to the top, success and failure, he has to be because that's all we know about the business model. That's how the business world works. If his truck stop fails, it's his fault. Jimmy Haslam. If his truck stop fails, if, 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 uh, if Quicken Loans goes under, whose fault is that? Well, there, there might be a lot of mitigating circumstances that we don't know, but our snap judgment is, well, this guy at the top, it was, it, you know, when it was successful, he got the credit. And when it's a failure, he gets the blame. And that's the world we live in. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. We've taken up so much of your time. This has been incredible. Can't wait to have you on Absolutely, again at some guys. point. Jay, a pleasure. Thank you so I much. Fun. I hope I didn't go too long. And um... Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.